0: We're in a brand new uh, series called Instinct, and uh, it's always good to be on the first week of a series. And this series is fascinating. I'm gonna tell you why. Um, there is a uh, a chapter in the Bible that we will look at that I think is maybe the most rich chapter in all the Bible. There's just something about this chapter that it has more in it, stuffed into it. It's like a turducken. It's it's a chicken inside of a turkey inside of a duck inside of a bigger bird, and it's just loaded. It's a something, another, and it's, it's amazing how rich this chapter of the Bible is. And I'll tell you part of the reason why is because there's a, 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 there's an idea in hermeneutics, which is the study of scripture. and, And the idea is that there's a principle called the law of first mention, the law of first mention basically goes like this. Whenever you see a person or an idea or a principle or a subject established in Scripture for the first time, that's where you get first mention from, that's the way that you can interpret it every time forward, and you will see it always relate back to that as you look at Scripture. Are you following me so far? Well, then it would go to give that Genesis is going to have a lot of the law of first mention, and the beginning parts of Genesis even more so. And so in Genesis chapter 3, what you're going to see is over these next three weeks, we will look at the instincts. Of mankind and what the origin of mankind is, what 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 mankind is actually like from the very beginning. We're going to look at the instincts of our enemy. The Bible says that there is a serpent in the garden and he is the enemy of the story. And he is representing and then from this point forward kind of shadowing and showcasing all that the enemy is and does from this point forward. And then on top of that, you not only see the interactions of mankind with the enemy, but then you see the very first interactions of mankind with God. And so here's what we're seeing is that every one of those three characters in this story have instincts. Everybody say instincts. You know, we talk. This is what we're talking about. We talk about instincts. Normally, when we say the word instincts, we go immediately in our mind to the what? To the animal kingdom right? Like why do birds fly south for the winter? And why do uh, wolves howl at the moon? And why do dogs lift their leg when they pee? And why do, why do they, why do all the animals? Cause you know, like you don't teach your dog to do like, I got a thing with my dog right now. That's tripping me out. They should not be doing that, but they are. And nobody's ever taught my little baby dog how to do that to her sister. It's like, stop it. That's not right your instincts have been crossed. And so stop being weird little dog. And, and instincts are inside of not just animals. They're inside of you. Have you ever watched how many of you have kids out there? Raise your hand. You have kids. You ever watched your kids do things and you're like, I never, you ever teach your kid how to lie? Well, I hope not. Right. I and mean, that's the goal. That wasn't like a ever done. The, no, 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 it was the, no. You ever teach your kids to lie? Like this is how you do it you got, you got to build a, a back story. you got to have all your details. always get you, don't, you don't teach your kids how to lie. You're not an evil human, right? But your kids wait until they get caught with their hand in the cookie jar or doing something bad or broken something or whatever. It is. Like, did you do it? uh Why do they do that? Because instinct, a fear kicks over. There's a fear of getting caught, a fear of being punished, a fear of getting in trouble. And so there's a reflexive response. It is in there. Instinct and you have built in hardwire instincts and we want to discover those. We want to discover the pattern that way you can be aware. And, and here's the problem. Have you ever met someone and this isn't you, th- their life is a bit of a mess and they come to you with their mess and you're like, okay, well tell me what happened, which you regret later, but you tell me what happened and they begin to unfold their story And they're like, what do you think I should have done differently? Or what do you think I should do moving forward? And this is what you really believe. You don't say this if you're kind. But what you really believe is this. You believe, you know what? Whatever comes natural to you, do the opposite. Have you ever met someone like that? You were like, if you would just go against every natural instinct that you have, you might have a chance. You ever felt like that when you met somebody? Because what they're doing is, is they're living out of all of these really, really bad or poor, ungodly or sinful instincts. And guess what? From Genesis chapter 3, we see that there are some incredible instincts inside of mankind. Now, the first one we see is even before the sin takes place. The first couple, really. The, the ones after that are sinful behaviors. And here's what you don't want to do. You don't want to adopt and inherit and live out these sinful instincts because they always lead to some type of death, darkness, or negative outcome in your life. And so what we want to do is discover the pattern so that we can break the pattern of sin over our lives so that we can live blessed. We can live successful. We can live in victory. We can live in God's abundant life because here's what I know about you. Cause, cause when you come to me, you don't come to me because, you know, you want things to get worse. You come to me because you're like, God, help me out here. Pastor, Speaking to the situation. We want things to get better. We want our lives on an upward trajectory. And you're not the crazy person that should do everything differently than your instincts. Y'all are good, sane, normal people. I believe it. But my guess is this, is when I go through these instincts today, what you're going to find is you might have one or two. And you want to break those patterns over your life so that you can live victoriously. Amen? Amen. Let's pray before we begin. Jesus, help us as we open up your words. God, let this story come to life. Let it have meaning to us. Let it give us hope. Let it challenge us. God above all, let it walk, Let us walk out of these doors differently than the way we walked in because of what you say to us today, Lord. That's our prayer today. And we all said, amen. There is this funny story from Genesis. Um, there's this pastor, small town guy, and he's new and he decides, you know, I'm going to go and meet every person in my little small town church. So I'm just going to make a a plan to go knock on their door and just say hi and go visit all of them. And so he shows up to this one woman's house, knocks on the door and he hears shuffling behind the door. He hears noise, but they don't come to the door. And so he knows someone's there, but no one comes to the door. And so he literally takes out his business card, little pastor church name on it. And he writes on the back revelation three twenty, which is the scripture that says it's where Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And he just sticks it in the door and decides, no, no big deal. So that that Sunday they take the offering collection and um, the people that are, are are taking in the money, like pastor, somebody put this card in here. And then on the back of the card, not only was there Revelation 3:20, but then there was Genesis 3:10 on there. And he's like, I don't know, I don't know what that is you know, off the top of my head. Uh, so he looks it up, and that's the scripture where uh, where Adam and Eve say, um, I was afraid because I heard your voice in the garden, for I was naked. And so. <laughs> I was afraid. I I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid for I was naked. Anyway, um, if you have your Bible, we're going to do this. We're going to read Genesis chapter 3. We're going to read the first 14 verses and then we're going to go back and take a look and I'm going to show you the instincts of man today. Are you ready? Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, the serpent said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say that you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You're not going to die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. I just want to say something real quick of freedom for all you ladies out there, because ladies, you guys sometimes get a bad rap, like, like Eve was the one that jacked this whole thing up. Hey, homeboy was right there the whole time like didn't say nothing. Okay. I digress. She also gave to her husband who's standing right there with duh all over his face and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. That's like when your two-year-old plays that go like does hide and go seek, and all they do is like close their eyes because they believe if they don't see you. You can't see them. This is how dumb that is, right? How do you play hide and go seek with an omniscient being? Anyway, um, so so they hid from the trees, um. Uh, They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden, but the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? Here's that funny verse. He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. And so I hid. And he said, this is God speaking, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, I love this, the woman who you put, that's a double blame. The woman who you put here with me. Pause. She gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. This is the beginning. How many of you are familiar with this story? Even if you didn't grow up in church, you know that there was a Garden of Eden and two people messed this whole thing up. You at least know that part of the story, right? This is it. That was the story you just heard. Now, there's a little bit more, and we'll get to it maybe in the later weeks. But today, I want to do this. We're going to walk through this story, and I'm going to basically break down that there are three different vantage points. And today, we will cover Adam and Eve. And their vantage point. And the instincts that seem to be hardwired into them. And there are five main instincts that I want you to think about. And I want you to be judging, okay, do I do this? Do I have a tendency? Do I sometimes, do I have a natural impulse or a natural response to do these things? And if so, how the heck do I stop doing those? Are you ready? Number one is this. The first instinct that you see is this. And it's not necessarily an evil one or a negative one. But it's this. Is we are motivated by what? We see men. Can I get a good gospel? Amen out there. Yeah. You just don't act. Don't you dare act holy up in here? Like you don't, you're motivated by what you see. Ladies go window shopping. You go online shopping. You shop through magazines. Don't you, don't you lie to me motivated by what you see. Do you think they put billboards up because they don't work? Do you think they send out mail outs and do advertising because they don't work? Like this is a visual driven world and we are more as a culture. We are more visually driven and visually stimulated than in the entirety of human history. Right now we have more things, more images, more devices, more things flashing before our eyes. When you think about this, I was, uh, have y'all ever seen how amazing like Facebook is at their ads? Like, you will do a search. I was looking for my son, a particular golf club, by a particular golf club maker to finish out his set. I Google it one time. I go to Facebook later in the day, and all of a sudden, boom, ping, 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 ping. You just have all these different things. I made one search, and all of a sudden, Facebook's like, we know what you like. We've got you. And they will drive you because you are driven by what you see, and that's not necessarily a bad thing there. Cause like Habakkuk says it like this, he goes, write the vision and make it plain so that he who reads it may run with it. Like there's something good about writing your goals down and seeing or there's certain like motivation when you watch something and it, 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 it inspires you it's not all evil. It's not all bad, but let's be honest. When we live in a lost, broken or sinful culture and all we receive are the images from that lost, broken and sinful culture. What do you think you're being influenced by all day? You're being influenced by a law, sinful, and broken culture, and that's what's driving us, and that's what influences us, and it's on a subconscious level. It is so subtle. It seems, I mean, like, I know, I know people that get caught up. How many of y'all don't, no, we don't want to confess this. How many of y'all, because I had a guy that confessed this to me, and he's the only person that's ever confessed it. But, like, y'all know those, like, infomercials where they get on TV and they have a product. And some of y'all are junkies for as seen on TV stuff. And he literally had an impulse. He had like a problem with shopping on that stuff. And isn't it funny too? Because they make whoever doesn't have this product to be a total loser. Don't they? Like you're a, you're a loser if you don't have our product and you can't do anything right. And you break everything or you just look silly trying to do something in life without their product. And I had a guy who literally had a problem with shopping on this stuff. And that's just the way that it is. I, I, hey, look, I, guys, I have seen guys do this. Guys get so motivated, single guys. They will see a girl and get head over heels. They will convince themselves that she is the one. They will be so mesmerized purely by their beauty. She is a psychopath and you don't even know it, but you don't even care. You don't care. I know a guy who hooked up and married, but the way that they hooked up was simply like he thought she was gorgeous and beautiful. But then when he went to meet her, they didn't even speak the same language. Like, but, but but I love her, Todd. I'm like. OK, you know, yeah, yeah, sure. God bless you. But like we're so motivated sometimes by just what we see. And the problem is, is that we live in a sinful, lost and broken world. Think about those images. Most of them are driving us to do things that we wouldn't normally want to do. So the the, the instinct in of itself is not evil. But here's the solution. And it's this. it's It's that if you're motivated by what you see, then guard what you put before your eyes. Like, like think about what Jesus said. Jesus has some hyperbole here. He goes kind of off the deep end with this comment, but he said, Hey, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Now that's hyperbole. Like God never was condoning self mutilation or anything weird like that It was hyperbole. It was over the top extreme behavior. But what he was, what he was saying is this, take extreme measures. That's what he's saying. If I'm going to give you an extremity, take extreme measures to guard what you put before your eyes. James said the same thing. He said all of sin comes from three places. He said it comes from the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Like So like your eyes are a gateway into your heart, a gateway into your soul. And when you continuously put image, like people who think porn is not an issue, I'm telling you what, like Christians have always known known that there was something wrong with pornography, we knew it was wrong from a lust standpoint, but I'm telling you that God is always brighter, smarter, wiser than that even. And when the studies caught up to what pornography really does to you from a neurological level, it messes you up. Why? There's something not good and not healthy, not the, let alone the sin factor to it. The ungodliness of it. There's something unhealthy about it. And so I'm telling you, guard what you put before your eyes. If your instinct is to be visually motivated, protect what you put in front of your eyes. Everybody say, all right. Number two is this, is we are masters of justification. Hey, I just want you all to know, like, this, this ain't like your, your uh, build them up pump them up rah-rah sermon. If you need to go home and flip on Joel Osteen after today, that's totally fine by me. Because I love you, and you can be victorious, but you better overcome this stuff if you want to be victorious I'll give you the pump up stuff later. That's next week. Um, number number two is this, is that we are the masters of justification. Here's what I want to get you to see. Watch what she does here. So the first thing it was is this. It says in verse seven, it says, I apologize, verse six. It says that when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the what? The pleasing to the eye. So she was motivated by what she saw. But look at what else is in this same verse. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good, for, number one, it was good for food. It, was, it looked good. It was pleasing to the eye. And then number three, it was also desirable for gaining wisdom. Then, in light of that, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her with a duh on his face because he's just standing around not doing anything. And so what I want to get you to see is this. Now, we didn't get into the idea of what the serpent does, and we'll get into that next week. But I'm telling you what he does is he brings a temptation. doesn't He He brings about a temptation, and she so falls into the temptation. And what she does is this. Is she becomes a master Of justification. And now here's, we don't catch it when we do it ourselves, but we're pretty good at catching it when other people do it. Have you ever, because you'll catch it when your friend does it. You know your friend is about to make a very, very unwise decision, something disastrous, possibly even. And what they do is, is they begin, because deep in their mind, they kind of know it's not good, or they know it's not right. And so they lean in hard with all the reasons why it could be a good idea. Have you ever heard that before? Like your friend's like, look, I know, you know, he's married, but I'm, I don't care because, you know, and then it's like, bam, bam, bam. I got my list. And you're like, what? Have you for real talked yourself in, into, into? do you hear what's coming out of your mouth? Because we are masters at justification. And, and typically like this is just some of the justifications. I wrote some down. Well, it, if it's not hurting anyone else. That's, that's one of them. Well, they'll never find out what they don't know. Won't hurt them. Here's a good one. We all love this, but it makes me feel happy. Hey, but it makes me feel good. Um, I, I've seen this one, like, like, like Christian couple moving together, not married, but we want to save money. Like that's my, but, but, but we're going to save on our light bill. And that's important because God wants us to be good stewards of our money right? That's, I'm just, I'm just saying, I, look, we already took the offering. I can say anything I want right now. So <laughs> here's, here's another one. Here's another, cause some of y'all get mad at me. At this. Um, but they deserve it. Have you ever done that one? Like you're ready for, you're ready for retribution. You know, you're ready for vengeance. You and God going to get them. And But they deserve it. And guess what? They probably do. But what we're doing is we're talking ourselves into all the reasons why we want to go do something that deep in our heart we know is against God's will. But we have figured out a way to justify it. And in doing so, we head deep, long into sin or mess. Something that leads to a place of death and darkness. Not God's best for our life. And so we come up with all these different reasons. Here's the number one that I think we probably all, all fall into. I deserve it. But I deserve it. I deserve these things. I deserve. remember we talked about this a couple of weeks ago with David. David had the perfect opportunity to to become the king. It would have made him happy. It would have made him successful. It would have even fulfilled what God had promised to him. But if he would have gone about it the wrong way, God would have rejected it. Why? Because it's not enough to say I want good things, but to get it in an ungodly way. Does that make sense? Like what you want to do is this. Don't look for ways to justify. Look for what it's true. Not true according to the way you define true, but true according to the way God has defined true. Because when you set that as north That's your North star. That's true North. That's the thing I can always trust in because here's the thing. God is going to sometimes give you things. He's going to set down certain commands and listen to me. I tell you this often, the commands of God are not restrictive in nature. They are protective in nature. They do not come from a standpoint of this is my fence and don't you come over it or this is stuff that you like, but I don't want you to have it. And so jump through my hoops and keep all my rules so that you can be a good boy or you that's ridiculous. What the commands of God are, are a loving, perfect heavenly father that says, don't do this. It's going to wreck your life. And there are certain times in your life where you're not even going to be like able to make sense of, well, God, why would you say no to those things? You may not understand why right now, but you will one day. And if you will trust your heavenly father and trust what he has said is true, not your justification of what would be a good thing if it just and come up with your list and come up with your reasons. But if you just trust your heavenly father, I promise that would actually lead to the abundant life that you're looking for. I got one amen. It's a little quiet up in here. That's okay. That's all right. I got a choir back here. Some No. Number, number three is this. We attempt to cover our own sin. Look at what they do. So the story progresses. Remember, they sin, they take of the garden, and then poof, their eyes are open. They're like, whoa, where did my clothes go? I don't, I don't understand how this happened. But somehow their innocence left them. There was a point in your childhood where you ran around the house naked and had no inhibition. You were totally unaware of the fact that you were naked. What gave you that ability? Innocence. Their innocence had left them. They're adults. They're full grown, but their innocence had left them. So watch what they do when they figure out that their innocence has left them. Genesis 3, 7. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized that they were naked. So they did what? They sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. This is what we do when we sin, isn't it? Not only have we justified what we got ourselves into, but once we got ourselves into it, we'd made every man-made attempt to take care of it on our own, to cover it up on our own, to fix it on our own. Like, that's, that's just kind of what we do as people. I remember this one time I was, uh, I was in middle school and I got invited over to the prettiest girl's house. Like, she was the prettiest girl in our whole school. Her name was Michelle. And she, I had the biggest crush on her all throughout middle school. Her name was Michelle Massey. And, and, and if she's listening, I've been married happily for 14 years and no. But she, as a... She probably, she, it, she's probably a train wreck. But anyway... When she was in middle school, she was beautiful and, and I had the biggest crush on her and somehow me and my buddy DJ are over at her house and we're hanging out and there's another girl there too and it's, it's totally innocent, but we're hanging out and me and DJ get into a wrestling match, which turned out to be a bad idea because we're in her bedroom. We fall on the table that's in her room that turns out to be like one of these little tripod particle board mini wannabe tables and we obliterate this thing because I totally just land on it and we break the table and she flips out and she's like, Oh my gosh, my dad is going to kill me. I'm telling you what me and DJ became Bob Vila. We went and got a staple gun, a glue gun. We got bubble gum. We got like fishing wire. We got, we got so resourceful and so creative part because it was Michelle, but part because we wanted to get out of trouble. I didn't want to get into trouble. I didn't want Michelle to get in trouble. And so, you know what? We will fix this. And we went to every measure for the next hour and a half to fix this little dinky table that probably no one would have cared about, but we did everything we could to fix it. And I think that's what we're like with our sin. We get into a world of mess and we typically don't run to God. We start thinking, what am I going to do to fix this? And we start making every man-made attempt to try to figure out how to fix our own life. And it's like, Here's the deal. Me trying to fix the table, me trying to fix my own sin apart from God is like me trying to repair a table, but Bob Villa is in the house. Like, just go ask Bob. Bob can fix it for you like that. And he has all the tools and he has all the things that he would need, but you keep trying to do it. This is, in essence, what the ultimate sin of life is. Please hear me on this one. Think about... I remember listening, and, and, and they asked um, a, a well-known, respected pastor. They, they, they were asking him the question about homosexuality as a sin in the Bible. And he goes, well, yes, it's a sin. He goes, well, do you think that will send them to hell? And he goes, well, no. But I don't think you understand what, what sin is or what actually sends someone to hell. Because there are all kinds of Christians who have sin in their life, but God forgives them. And they're journeying towards God and trying to sanctify themselves. But, but sin doesn't send people to hell in and of itself what does is self-righteousness. Think about it. Self-righteousness is the, is the sin of saying, God, I don't need you. I'll live this life on my own. God, I don't need you to cover my sin. I'll figure this out on my own. God, I reject you and don't need you. Jesus. I, I, I kind of don't need your death on the cross and I don't need your grace and mercy. I don't need your forgiveness. And so then I get to stand in my own self-righteousness. That sin in and of itself is not what sends you to hell. Self-righteousness is. Do you see that? Because there are all kinds of Christians up in this room that love Jesus and are journeying towards God, but you still have sin in your life. Are you going to hell? No, because God, God's grace covers you. So, sin in and of itself is not what sends you to hell. It's self righteousness. It's standing before God and saying, I don't need your forgiveness. I'll do this on my own. And it was their attempt to say, God, you know what? We're going to fix this on our own. So, they made a man made attempt, they took fig leaves to try to cover themselves. And I'm telling you this, that's not the way to go. Uh, rather, don't cover your own sin. Instead, confess your sin and find forgiveness. Look at what First John 1, 9 says. If we confess, everybody say if. That's a big if right there. If we confess our sins, God is faithful. Like God is just, God is good. God is God is all about you elevating your life, you overcoming sin, you being in relationship with him. If you do just one thing, if you will just confess, if you'll just admit that you cannot be righteous on your own. That you need him. That's the only thing that's stopping you. So if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive your sin. And not just forgive you. This is the crazy part. This is why Christians who still have sin in their life still get into heaven. It's because not only does he forgive you, but then he cleanses you of your own unrighteousness and gives you the righteousness of Jesus. That's the beauty of grace. It makes no sense whatsoever why a loving, holy God would take his holiness and give it to you. Even though you, in and of yourself, are not holy. Meaning God gave you something that you did not deserve simply because he loved you. That's the beauty of grace. We don't want to stand on the outside of that and reject that. We don't ever want to stand in our own self-righteousness. We want to stand in God's righteousness through Jesus. Somebody say amen to that. So number three is we attempt to cover our own sin, but rather don't do that, confess and find forgiveness. Number four is this, is that guilt causes us to hide from God. So the first thing they do is they go make fig leaves for themselves, but then they try to go hide with an ominous, omnipresent God. Though That's just not going to work out right there. But listen to what it says. Genesis 3, 8. Then, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid themselves from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So this is the next instinct. Number four is this, is that... Ultimately, guilt causes us to hide from God. When you look at all these things, you know what you're finding? Man, our instincts aren't that great. We shouldn't cover our own sin. We shouldn't try to hide from God. We shouldn't, we shouldn't do all these other things. And so, but this is the instinct that we need to fight against. This is the sin cycle, in essence. Have you ever been through a season of life where you've seen someone do this? They start making a few bad decisions. They start living in sin. And so then they step further away from God. They actually step further away from the one person who could help them and heal them. The one person who could strengthen them. And they step away. And so because they distance themselves from God, you know what they have? They have less of God's grace and strength in their life. So you know what they do more of? Sinning. And so then they sin and they get further away from God. But because they're further away from God, it's more likely that they keep on sinning. And so then what you do is you just repeat this cycle over and over and over again. You know, you know when you stop the cycle? Usually when you hit rock bottom. When you come to the end of yourself and then you discover, I cannot save myself. I cannot do this on my own. And it, it hopefully that's what eventually you, you, you hit that moment where it kind of comes crashing down on you and you are in desperate need of your heavenly father. And then we retreat and we go back to God. And so the, the, the idea is this is don't hide from God when you sin. Instead, run to God as a first option how many of us do that in life though like life begins to get into a mess and we do everything we can to fix it on our own and then we say something audacious like this we say well i guess all there is left to do is pray as if well we tried everything else that should have worked i guess we'll try the one thing that you know we'll see it's like a Hail Mary you know I mean? like we'll try we'll see but we usually run to God, run to prayer, run to our Heavenly Father as a last attempt. And I'm telling you this, don't hide from God when you sin. Instead, run to God as a first option. Number five, and last one is this, is that we blame others for our mistakes. This is the human instinct. These are the instincts that I want you to be so aware of, that you kick against, you fight against. Now, you don't do all these, but there's maybe one or two in there that you do. And I want you to so be convicted today. Say, wow, I do that. God, I got to get that out of me. God, please help me. God, show me a way out. Look at what he does. And we, we mentioned this earlier. God speaks to them in verse 11 and says, Who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I told you not to? And the man said, Well, the woman that you put here with me, literally blames the woman and then blames God for giving him the woman. She gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. So the Lord God just goes to the woman says, well, what did you do? (laughs) And she says, well, actually the serpent deceived me. So he goes to Adam and he doubles down and blames two people. So then he's like, okay, well, let me go to Eve. And then he goes, what did you do? What was the serpent? In a minute, I didn't read this scripture. He goes to the serpent. He's like, there's nobody else here. I did it. And so my bad, um, there's no one for him to blame at that point. So he takes it. But in reality, God knows the truth. And, And here's the instinct I want us to be aware of is that we have a natural, sinful instinct to blame other people for our junk, to blame other people for our mistakes And and, and it's so painful when you hear it because I love you so much and I want you to be free and I want you to be victorious. But there's nothing more painful than to sit there with a person and it's always their fault. This is what they did to me. Well, you know what? I got that. My daddy was just like that. That's I just get that from my mama. You know what? Those people did that to me. Those people made me angry. And that's why I did that. You have all these reasons, all these excuses, all these people that you can blame. And here's the problem with it. As long as you live a life of blame, you will always live life as a slave. Why? You're a slave to the people who you're blaming. I wrote wrote down, down a couple of thoughts. If it's always someone else's fault, then it's never your responsibility. If it's always someone else's fault, then they are in control of your life. And so the goal is this. Don't blame others for your mistakes. Rather, own them and find freedom. Like God wants you to be free. But I'm telling you, there is a beauty in that thing called confession that we talked about earlier. There's a beauty in owning it. Because, see, as long as you blame everybody else's mistake for your mistakes and as long as you try to cover up everything in your life, you live in bondage. You live enslaved to your own instincts and you live enslaved to your own sin. The way that you get free is to own it and then confess it. But we're so deathly afraid of that. We're so deathly afraid of, like, confessing I was wrong. We're, you know, I need help. There are these things that we just can't get over in our heart and in our mind that keep us. And here's the big shocking question that I have and I don't know the answer to. I always wonder, what would God have done if Adam and Eve would have responded differently? Because what did God go to them and do? He didn't get mad. He didn't go and say, I told you so. He didn't go and, and smash them with rocks and bolts of thunder and flames of fire. And He didn't do any of that. He first went and said, where are you? And then he goes, well, what did you do? Who told you you're naked? And then he said, what did you do? You ever thought about this? What if they would have just said, God, I am so Sorry, I sinned against you. I disobeyed you. I was deceived and I disobeyed you. And God, would you please forgive me? I'm just kind of curious. What would have happened? Because you know what the New Testament teaches us is that forgiveness has always been found through confession. Isn't that what we just read a second ago, that if we would confess that we would, he would forgive us and cleanse us of our unrighteousness? Think about this. Salvation comes through confession alone. That's why Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this, that if you confess the Lord Jesus with your mouth and you believe in your heart, you shall be saved. So what is it that actually leads you to salvation? Your own confession. Your own owning of the fact that you are lost and need to be found. That you are dead and need to be alive. That you are broken and need to be fixed. What if? I I don't know the answer to that because they didn't own it. But what I know is this, is because I talk to enough people and I've reflected on my own life enough, I have too many of these bad instincts. And I have to fight on a daily basis to not, remember the friend we talked about at the beginning of the day, like, if you'll just do the opposite, Of everything you currently do, you might have a chance. And what what I'm telling you is this: is that when when we look at these instincts and we say, "Man, I kind of do that. I kind of blame and and I become the victim all the time. And it's always about me. It's everybody else's fault. Man, I need to break that. I want to break off this idea of hiding my sin and letting my sin kind of grow in the dark and nobody knows about it. Because here's the deal: when the sin stays in the dark, it controls you. You are not free. And so God wants you to be free. God wants you to live an abundant life. And the way that you overcome these instincts, this is the big deal right here. How do we break our natural instincts? How do we break our nature? The answer is this it is through invested time. You've got certain instincts. Some of them you were just born with. You did right out of the womb. You've done since birth. But you've changed, haven't you? Because you recognize that some of those instincts just weren't going to help you. They weren't going to lead to an abundant life. And you fought like crazy to break them. But I'm telling you, some of you keep fighting this battle over and over. And you keep trying to do it sometimes through willpower or just sheer might or sheer discipline. And you keep trying. And then we beat ourselves up when we fail. But I'm telling you, the answer is actually this right here. Jesus gave the solution. He said, actually, if you want to change, just get closer and closer to me. It's invested time. It's time in God's word. It's time in prayer. It's time in worship. It's time in God's presence. It's time in fellowship with God's people. Because here's what I know, is that when you get around somebody long enough, have you ever done this before? You get around somebody long enough, you start thinking like they think, you start talking like, if if, if you know that they have a life that you respect if they have a life that you kind of envy in some ways if they if you think man if i could be the husband like that guy's a husband or if i could be the mom like that woman's a mom and you begin to glean from we always do it we pick up on things well, what i'm telling you is this is that if you want to become more like jesus you have to have invested time with him through scripture through prayer through worship through all these avenues of connecting with god and you spend enough time With God in his presence, your nature slowly changes. Because eventually what you want to do is you want to get to a point where the idea of blaming somebody else for your mistakes seems foreign and weird to you. The idea of running from God just because I made a mistake, that seems ridiculous. Who in their logical mind would ever run from the one who has the answer? That makes no sense. So you you get what I'm saying? Like your nature gets broken. Your human nature gets broken as you grow grow closer and closer to God and adopt the divine nature. And that's where you live the abundant life. Amen. Invested time in his presence. Let's pray this morning. Lord Jesus, we, 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 God, we accept the challenge. We, we, we get that today, God, all of humanity's junk was kind of put on the table. God, we own it some of us, we do some of those things. Maybe some of us do a lot of those things. And so God, today, we want to actually have a moment where we confess and own it, God. And so today, right now, if you're here and you say, Todd, you know, as you were talking, I, I, I do that. I got one, three, and five. Those are mine. I'm, I'm, I'm one and two, Todd. Those are mine. I'm two and four. I, I got all the evens and the odds, Todd. I'm, I'm, I'm really, I hit for the cycle today. If that's you today, then right now, we're going to just take a moment to reflect we're going to take a moment to pray. We're going to take a moment to confess and say, God, I I get it. I didn't know that these things, I didn't know where they came from. I didn't know. Why do I actually, I thought it was because of my mom and that's part of it maybe, but I'm telling you that there's something hardwired into the human DNA from sin and it needs to be broken. And so father, we pray God speak to us now as we have a personal moment with you. Jesus, I pray that God, as we confess and as we own it, as we come before you, that God, you begin to mold us and to make us into your own image. That God, we live a journey from this point forward where we're trying to look more and more like you, Jesus. We're trying to talk more and more like you. We're trying to respond the way you would respond. We're trying to treat people the way that you would treat people, God. We want the divine nature, God. We want to, to live and act like you, Jesus. And so God, we pray that every time we begin to revert back to our old ways. When we ever revert back to our old instincts, Holy Spirit, we pray that something on the inside of us would rise up and say, no, that's not God's way. And that it would challenge us. And God, that your strength and wisdom would be there to help us. The courage would be there to help us overcome and say, no, God, that's not your best. But God, I want your ways. And we invest our time in your presence, God, so that we can look and talk and think and act more Like you, God. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you that in light of all of our weird and negative and bad instincts, you still loved us. The book of Romans says that even while we were yet sinners and all of our bad instincts, Christ died for us. So Jesus, even in spite of our weirdness, God, you died for us. In spite of our negative instincts, you've loved us and your grace and mercy has never stopped. When we come to you, God, your arms are always wide open and we thank you for that, God. And so God, help us as a people, Lord God, to journey closer and closer to you, to live more like you would have us to live, God. Help us to find that abundant life in you, Lord. That is our prayer today in Jesus' name. And we all said amen and amen. Can we give the Lord a big hand clap this morning?